Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Come on in, get comfy, relax your shoulders, take a deep breath, and picture a needle rapidly jabbing the outer layer of your skin, leaving the most immaculate, indelible ink on your epidermis. Colors that Crayola hasn't created, designs that aren't distinguishable shapes, and images that you can't mistake for anything or anyone else. Real NFTs, one of ones. Creations that no one else will ever have because the canvas is a real live individual and the art lives with them. If this is your first time listening, thank you and happy to have you. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of Right Nowish. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the art of tattooing in the Bay Area for our series called Permanent Behavior. We start in West Berkeley, where I speak to Miguel Bounce Perez about Cholo style letters, the impact of declining industry in his neighborhood, plus his family's history. This conversation about tattoos came out of my fatigue of reporting on art that's here today and gone tomorrow. I needed to find creations that endured the test of time. You know, you do work that's permanent and long lasting. Like I just, I talk to artists all the time and there's a certain impermanence to the art. And so in doing tattoos, like how do you even approach doing something that you know is gonna stick with folks forever? That hit me weird too, because uh, you know, I started, got into a graffiti mural art and that's like, um, you know, part of the game is it's going to get covered, it's going to get gone over. So, like, doing something a little more permanent, I feel like definitely at first I was like, oh, shit, I can't go fix this up later. I can't, uh, I can't like, touch it up in a couple years when it fades. I mean, you can kind of with tattoos, but, you know, it's a whole different thing. So it made me a little nervous at first, just like, like okay, I definitely got to get it right first time. I never did anything in my life permanent, it seemed like. <laughs> when they start tripping about being permanent, I'm like, oh, you know, only until you, uh, you decompose. <laughs> More deep thoughts from Miguel Bounce Perez right after this. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate. 
www.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Bring us back to the origins. How'd you, how'd you get started in art in general? The first influences are like from my mom. She used to draw the little old school, um, like these kind of chola drawings, you know, that Chicano style cholas with like the, the feathered hair all nice and detailed. I remember I used to like kind of create my own little comic characters and uh, my uncles drew too. And they, they all kind of did that same kind of that Cali Chicano style. All my uncles did like the, the chola letters. And I'd, you know, to see them around the house, like written on their books and all this stuff. I think it was just more about like seeing them make stuff with their hands. Like my dad was also like carpenter, mechanic, and built lowriders and stuff. Cars, you love making stuff. Yeah, I think definitely with the family was the first influence. And then I think we're really, um, like in school, I would definitely always try to try to wiggle my way to like, hey, can I just do a poster for like half credit and like, you know, only write half the, half the assignment? And like, oh yeah. So I started like, you know, early on, I knew I could kind of wiggle it that way. So that was cool. Like, honestly, one of the things that got me really serious was when, uh, uh, you know, girls would be like, ooh, that looks pretty. Can you write my name? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. They like cursive. All right, let me let me get my cursive game up. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So it's the, the amalgamation of all those influences, you know, a little bit of everything pouring into you. How would you describe like cholo style for someone who was goofy, just didn't know, you know? Like the style kind of came from them trying to emulate like old English. And what he was saying is like old English was, uh, he was like anything important was written in old English. He's you know, he's like a death certificate, birth certificate. It's like always old English. So like when you look at cholo style, it is like kind of a simplified version of old English. It's like, the, you know, the straight up and down letters, but all the letters have this similar like structure that they're made from, you know, something you don't need a fancy uh, brush to do. You can do it with like one line or with a spray paint or with a marker or something. And I think it's always been about um, representing people that aren't really seen. You know, it's like always been about that. Yeah, that's it's kind of mind blowing to me that you said because all right, so writing in that like dignified kind of font, if you will, um, and how it comes from old English by way of like governing forces. You mentioned like birth certificates, death certificates, and I know that there's a stereotype around like that type of lettering that it comes from prisons as well, or that there's you know like it's related to you know kind of prison culture, but. To say that, like, no, this is a way to dignify a people, you know, a group. Hell, whatever I'm writing, whatever word I'm putting in there. Um, because I know in, like, yeah, I know in black culture as well, there's the old English is, is definitely a form of tattooing, styling that you, you put words or even commemorate a fallen friend in that font. Um, sorry, just had a light bulb moment right there. <laughs> Miguel's a child of immigrants who raised him in the industrial Bayside neighborhood of West Berkeley. Kind of moved around Berkeley a lot. Mexican side was like more West Berkeley. My Filipino side was more technically North Berkeley. We called uh, South Central Berkeley. Like, right? <laughs> Parents first came over. They both came when they were probably about 13, 12-ish. And they happened to both come to um, Hunter's Point at first. Came to Berkeley around the 60s, something like that. How'd they describe 60s West Berkeley to you? They never really explained too much about like old school Berkeley. They're more, I feel like they talk more about when they're in high school and they're partying. Kind of always about 
chilling. My parents met when they're at when they're in high school, when they're in Berkeley High. Actually, the story is um, my dad was working at a gas station right on a, what is it, like University and MLK or somewhere right there. And my mom was like walking from Berkeley High. And like um, she said that she saw him smoking a cigarette or something, you know, smoking at the gas station, some 70s shit. <laughs> she came over and um, you know asked for a light and supposedly like he lit her hair on fire. Like, well, what? <laughs> At the gas station? How dangerous is that? Yeah, that's the story I heard. I mean, my dad my dad was known for embellishing a little bit, so it could be made up, but it sounds pretty cool. They were part of a car club, right? Yep, yeah, it was called uh, Pueblo Nuevo. Pueblo Nuevo, the West Berkeley. My dad and my uncle from my mom's side had started the car club. So how did how did Berkeley as a city pour into your work as an artist? I feel like there's a lot of murals around Berkeley that influenced me. The Che mural at West Campus, the, um, the recycling mural that was on MLK. The apartment we lived on, it was on Bancroft and like McKinley, literally a block below Berkeley High. You know, it went from like seeing all the Chicano styles that my family was doing and seeing the graph on the street and and the murals, I think that definitely just seeped its way in. Miguel also came up with the crew known as Trust Your Struggle. The collective of artists do work for low or no cost in communities that could benefit from murals or other visual art that supports local culture. They started in 2003, and they've done work not only in the Bay, but in Hawaii, in the Philippines, among other places. Trust Your Struggle was like, like it was uh, definitely like like-minded folks who had a lot of the same passions and same views on the world, politics, and life, and everything. I think we're more just like a crew of homies. Some of the earlier things we were doing was these mural tours, you know? Like the first one we went to was Mexico. We went, we started in Mexico and like worked our way down, like on bus, all the way to uh, Nicaragua. And it's basically donated murals, you know, linked up with different organizations and painted. And I remember one of the last ones we did in 2009 went to the Philippines. We were meeting up with these orgs and stuff. And, you know, we like this is the one we'd probably raise the most money for and put together. And, and we get out there and we're like, yeah, we're going to do this mural for y'all, you know, free, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, great, this is beautiful. And then we see like how they're living. They're like, oh shit, like they don't need a mural, they need food, they need like some clothes. I think it made us think of different ways. They humbled us and think, you know, like, like, you ain't gonna save the world with a painting. Like, <laughs> it, might, it might look pretty, but, you know, some of us have got, got more into like um, actual like legislation. You know, my boy Rob is like doing like children's books, you know. I mean, I'm doing tattoos, which is just like not like a political thing, it's a smaller scale, intimate thing. But the thing was cool about tattoos is always like, or not always, there's definitely some people where it's not. They're just getting it for the aesthetics, but it's like, you know, it's always some transitional period in most people's lives when they're getting it. And it's pretty cool to like share that with them and even help them, like guide them through it, even, you know, if they don't have like the exact idea of what they want to do with it. That's so tight, bro. Like thinking about life in those transitional periods and like change is the only constant, but like to get something to signify that you've gone through a transitional period is to say that I want something to last forever from this doorway that I'm going through. 
and you're more or less holding that door open, like or helping you know construct the doorway. Even sometimes I'm closing them like, nah, you know, don't go through that door. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that door, you don't want Remind that. I don't know if you want that door. <laughs> Do you have any specifically that came from a point of transition in your life? The first bigger ones I got were, um, it was actually um, my dad had this rose of my mom's name. And I pretty much just tried to, when he passed away in 2009, I pretty much just did the exact same thing he had on both arms. I mean, those are probably my most meaningful tattoos, maybe, I'll say. The other ones have been a little more loose, like, like, okay, yeah, that looks cool. Let's do it. Yeah, I definitely know people be like, whatever, I'm in Vegas. Time to get tattooed. I'm not tripping. But yeah, definitely when I was younger, it was like, what's my first tattoo going to be? Don't do, do anything stupid. You know, I went with, you know, my mom, my aunt, my sister, family names, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you can't go wrong with mom's name, right? <laughs> right. right. And so when your mom saw your tattoo that you did in honor of your father, how did she react? Um, I mean, I think it definitely... She was sad just because it reminded her of my dad, you know. I remember even, I mean, her, her saying one time, she's like, damn, you got your dad's hands. And like, especially with, like, the tattoo, like, of his same thing, like, same placement. Yeah, she's also proud, too, because she, I think she's um, she's really proud that I get to do what I love for a living, you know. I feel like it's almost like that was the reason why they sacrificed to come to this country when they are young, so their kids can, like, do what the fuck they want. Miguel's got a strong point of view when it comes to his work, but he says he doesn't stick to just one style. Well, I think, like, the big thing for me with tattooing is, um, you know, I've always been about collaboration in my paintings and painting with the crews. It's always been collaborative. But these, like, tattoos, it's like a real collaboration, like, because it's like this, this long-term bond you're making every time with somebody. So I generally try to have it be more about what they want, you know? I mean, I definitely would take... Um, you know, my knowledge and expertise and try to, like, make sure it's going to be something that's going to look good, you know, years down the line. Just make that work with what they want, you know? And I think that's kind of my specialty is, like, versatility. I'm sure you get a mixture of people coming in with different ideas for artwork that they want. I remember we got this math club one time, and uh, which was funny is they all, they got, like, the inner lip tattoos. <laughs> But they all, like, if you've seen them, you know, they, you would have never thought they had would have had tattoos. But I guess that's why they went with the inner lip, because that's, like, one of the most hidden places, you know. Wait, hold on, wait. Ma- a whole math club got the same inner lip tattoo? What did they get tattooed inside their lip? They didn't all get the same thing, but they all got the same place. I remember one of them, I think, said, fuck off, actually. It's, you know, it was, it was funny. They all were, like, yeah, we're the math club. Yeah, this is, this is our bonding experience. <laughs> I mean, we get that, you know, we get the range, we get that, but we still get, you know, dudes that spend a lot of time in prison and, you know, want to, like, finish up their prison-style tattoo. Actually, I've I've actually done a lot of, a couple of prison cover-ups, too, like, you know, like, oh, I got this in prison, you know, kind of, can you fix this for me? <laughs> like, I've done a lot of those, too, I feel like. Do you feel like your work is a community service? Yeah, I never, I didn't really think of it like that, but it really is, man. You know, just yesterday, my boy had a Raiders tattoo that, you know, the dude's, the Raider face dude was like, it was all smushed up, like you couldn't see none of the features and couldn't read the letters and I just brought it back. 
I was like a service to him, like making him feel better about himself or something. You know? Yeah, it's like a service. It is really a service, you know. In the graph world, you go from a tool, like learning it, doing scribbles, you know, tagging your name, to doing bubble letters and working your way up to you doing huge murals. Is it there's is there a similar uh, chain of commands in the tattoo world? It's similar in that um, you definitely got to, like, pay your dues, you know, to get, like, respected in the industry. You got to, like, you got to apprentice with somebody who's already respected. I mean, before, like, recently has hella changed. The game is, you know, a lot of, a lot of the old school heads will say it's fucked up now because, you know, people are learning how to tattoo off YouTube and shit. Where, as even, like, 10 years ago, it was, like, literally, like, like damn near, like, a fucking secret society that you had to, like, claw and beg and to get your way into it like a big thing with the, your apprenticeship is is generally you know it's generally not paid like your the apprentice is the one that has to be there on time has to spend the most hours you know has to do like the most like grunt work and it's usually like like two years before you can even start to like pick a machine up a machine or something i mean it's um it's definitely more of uh like the old school classic way is definitely changing these last couple of years, which, um, yeah, it's all fucked up now with social media. Like there's new, new tattooers will get like one famous client and then all of a sudden they're, you know, $2,000 an hour. Like, <laughs> like, damn, and your work isn't even that good. It's like a big thing about tattooing is like, you don't really know what you're doing until you see like some shit you did like 15 years down the line, you know? You can, like, it can be the prettiest, most detailed thing, but, like, with the real test of it is what's it going to look like 15, 20 years later, you know? Like, is it going to stay? Is it going to, the colors are going to hold up or your lines going to fade out? The old school tattooers, they're, they're definitely focused on that more, you know? So, I mean, because even, um, even before I got into tattooing, that traditional style that they call it, American traditional, where it's like, you know, like the real thick lines, kind of simpler drawings, you know, like, you know, the classic images like that panther or, you know, like the um, kind of like the pinup style ladies and the roses. Like before I really knew about tattooing, I didn't really appreciate that stuff that much, you know. But then after I started doing it and really like, oh, there's a reason why those lines are so thick or there's a reason why it's so simple because, you know, they want this to look good in 15 years, you know. There's a reason why they make it bold and simple. Big thank you to Miguel Bounce Perez, man. So much game. Thank you. Great way to start our series. Thanks for kicking it off. It's wild to see the convergence of culture, community, and environment, as well as family, all pour into the ways that you express yourself artistically, both as a muralist and a tattoo artist. So thank you. Thank you for taking some time and giving us a window into your world. You all can find Miguel's work on Instagram at Mr. Bouncer. That's Mr. spelled M-I-S-T-E-R. Bouncer spelled B-O-U-N-C-E-R. Marisol Medina Cadena, Kiana Mogadam, and Corey Antonio Rose produced this episode. Jin Chien edited this episode. Our engineer is Sil Muller. Justin Ebrahimi and Rhea Garewal are the engagement specialists. Amara Ibianasi is our new engagement intern. Welcome, welcome. Kiana Mogadam is the senior producer of podcast. KQED execs are David Marcus, Jin Chien, and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Again, this is the first entry in our Permanent Behavior Project, a four-part series on tattoos and tattoo culture here in the Bay Area. More to come next week. 
Until then, y'all take care. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akhenati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.